You're listening to the Functional Fertility Podcast, and I'm your host, Kiara Orbe, Functional Fertility Nutritionist. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing your fertility using real intentional nourishment through nutrition and lifestyle choices. Each week, you'll find practical steps through conversations with health experts in this space or solo episodes from me helping you get closer to creating your family. Everything shared on the podcast is rooted in love and science and is meant to help you cut through fertility myths so you can take control of your fertility journey while having fun doing so. And if anything resonates with you, please feel free to leave a five-star review and rating so that we can continue having incredible guests on the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hi guys, welcome back to the Functional Fertility Podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying all the episodes that we've had on this season so far. I know um, me shifting to this fertility space has been a little new, yet all the same, and I'm still trying to navigate it myself. I just know that this was the right move for me and my practice because practically all the women that I was working with at the time and still am are trying to conceive either now or in the near future. And it's something that's been on my heart for basically all of my life. Um, But I hope it's coming across in a way that's received well. And if you guys have any feedback and if you guys want any specific topics on the show, please feel free to um, just shoot me a message on like via Instagram DMs and we will make that happen. But other than that, I think it's going really well. I am hearing lots of good feedback with the show and you guys are loving the, the guests that we're having on and I could say the same thing. Um, in other news, update on my life and like what's going on. I it's so funny to me that I schedule, I didn't even schedule that two week break after the launch of period restoration. I was like, I just need it. And I, you know, basically just took that break from Instagram, social media, but I was still working with my clients and everything. So it wasn't a break from work. I was still working behind the scenes, still plugging into content and so on and so forth. Um, and then after I took that break, it was like the world was on fire. Um, in so many different regards. And I feel like since then I've just been taking on lesson after lesson after lesson in so many ways. Um, but I feel like all that was happening in the world was coming into my personal life. And I kind of was forced to sit with these things and pay attention to them and kind of just be quiet for a second and be still for a second. Cause that was all I could do. Um, and the natural fear set in as well. And so that's kind of what I've been going through. I'm not going to lie. It has been hard. It has been difficult to show up as myself, my true authentic self on social media. I haven't wanted to show face and that's something that I can feel like easily guilty for. Um, you know, especially when you have an audience that's paying attention to you and like will message you if you're not showing up regularly, um, you know, that can feel, it can, it can feel like 
pressure sometimes. So, but I, I've learned to let that go and know that this is the self-care that I need and kind of just separating my work life from my personal life and just letting it be, not stressing about having content scheduled for that day. If I, um, I mean, luckily I, I've been having content scheduled, but you know, not trainings or anything. And that's something I have been craving to get more of in my life and just hopping back into those trainings on stories. So I love talking with you guys. I really do. Um, but (laughs) I did not expect this past month to be what it was. And sometimes you're just forced to slow down in life. And this is something that I always talk about with my clients. Like sometimes you're not on 100. Sometimes life isn't this linear thing. And I think health is flexible. I was on vacation and I wasn't eating the foods that I would normally eat, but what could I do other than just surrender? Um, life has thrown a lot of curveballs at me lately. And what can I do other than surrender and just be with it? When I'm someone who definitely wants more control over a lot of things, and I find that a lot of my clients are the same way. And when we have that resistance towards a lot of things, I truly believe that is when symptoms start to set in. I've noticed that my digestion is a little wonky, and that can happen easily with travel as well. But just for me, like stress, like, and when I'm stressed, it's not so much the stressor, it's so much like how I handle that stress. And like, maybe I'm not eating as much, maybe I'm not eating the foods I would normally eat. Um, Maybe I'm not just nourishing myself in ways that I would normally because I'm stressed. And, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. But um, I think the difference is not being so consumed by that stress for an extended period of time and knowing how to bounce right back into, into things. And I think there are ebbs and flows in life too. Like we don't have to be, we're not linear people, especially as women, we are cyclical and we have to embrace that. Like even the, the, the hurdles that we come across. Um, yeah, there's just, I've just learned so many things. You guys have been doing a lot of journaling. It's been, it's been some heavy stuff over here, um, but I'm hoping to ease back into things and yeah, just get back into the flow, but I'm not rushing it by any means either. I think it's important to be gentle with ourselves, but anyway, I am so excited for today's podcast episode. We are going to talk about preconception. Now I just shared a post on my Instagram regarding, you know, men's preconception health being just as important as women's preconception health. And a lot of you want to know why or not why, like how, how, how do I support my partner? How does my partner do this with me? Like what if he's resistant and all this stuff? Um, and I, I know how difficult that can be because there's a reason why I don't work with men. (laughs) Sometimes they can be a little too resistant, but there are also a lot of men who are like, on board with a lot of things. And some men are like even tracking their women's cycles, which is amazing. Like I wish (laughs) that is incredible. Um, so I'm just going to share like my perspective on that and what I've done and just help you with your preconception journey in general in this podcast episode, um, so that you and your partner on the same team and can hopefully take away some baby steps to start implementing into your life. Um, so that you know that this is 
a lifestyle. It's not just like, okay, give me the steps and I'll do it. And then I'll just like bounce right back into my old ways. Um, once I get pregnant or once I have the baby, no, I think first and foremost, the first step is, is having a commitment to this journey, this life, and especially the life that you're about to give birth to. Because as I said in that caption, I think that preconception health is probably the best gift that we could give to our babies. As someone who was chronically uh, symptomatic as a child, literally, I remember it was like around nine or 10 when symptoms really started setting in or even earlier, like I could almost um, feel how anxious I was as a child. And I feel like there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but yeah, as far as like physical symptoms, like digestive systems go, um, I really started to develop those as, as an early child. Um, so I think a lot of that can be mitigated once we start paying attention to mom and dad's pre preconception health. So you want to have a baby. <laughs> That's so exciting and scary and wild. All of it rolled into one. So besides the obvious fun bit that goes into baby making, how much thought have you actually given to what else it takes to make that happen? Yes, of course, you need to be off any birth control and you need to do the deed around your ovulation window, but there is a whole lot more that we need to consider these days more than just doing it. Now, preconception planning is too rarely considered, in my opinion, and we've become a culture that is quick to turn to medical intervention with IVF and hormonal medications. Now, there is nothing wrong with that if that is something that you've done already or know someone who's done it, or maybe that's the path you take, but preconception health can still be very vital if that is still the route you take. I'm just saying that without we're, we're jumping to that road, that path, and it's really expensive also. And we're not really addressing the foundations of our overall health. So what if we could aim to avoid all of that with a little preconception planning? And as I've learned, there are no guarantees when it comes to bringing humans into the world. There's a time and there's a place and sometimes a necessity for medical intervention when it comes to fertility and pregnancy. However, that doesn't get you off the hook with preconception planning and cleaning things up to set up the womb to be a happy, healthy place to grow your little human. No matter how you become pregnant, I think working towards getting your body into an optimal state to support a healthy pregnancy is vitally important. There are no sure things when it comes to conception, unfortunately, but every effort counts, you guys. Now, before we get started, I would be remiss to not mention the dramatic rise of infertility that we've seen in the last 60 years or so. So I'm just going to spit out some facts. In 1984, the estimated percentage of couples with fertility problems was 5.4%. In 1992, this number increased to 8.5%. In 2011, the estimated rate was 15.7%. Sperm counts of Western men are plummeting down 50% in 50 years. Like, oh my gosh, that is insane. In the United States, 7.3 million women have used infertility services. And about 10% of women in the United States are having trouble getting pregnant. Globally, one in four couples experiences infertility. 
And between 1990 and 2010, the number of couples affected by infertility worldwide rose from 42 million to 48.5 million. Women are having fewer children and are beginning their pregnancy journeys at an older age as well. So the decline in fertility rates is attributed to several factors, guys, including diet and lifestyle and exposure to chemicals and personal care products, household furniture and cleaners, environmental toxins, and the age at which women begin having children along with some economic and cultural factors like increased access to birth control and women working outside of the home. Though there are a variety of reasons why a couple may not be able to conceive on their own after the recommended 12 months of trying, it's also a fact that fertility clinics continue to pop up and many couples getting married later in life don't want to wait the year of trying and go straight for what may be considered more of a sure thing. So what follows here are recommendations for preconception planning um, in the rest of this episode, whether your plan is to hope plan and hope is to conceive the old fashioned way or by taking a medical route. So when should you start planning for pregnancy? Today. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you want to have a baby nine months or nine years. I think the best thing you can do is put these positive habits in place immediately. Once you're pregnant, most of the work is already done and or most of the work is done and it's a lot harder to build a healthy foundation when you're exhausted, possibly nauseous and not feeling well. And this means that if you plan to have a baby in your lifetime, lifetime, this means getting off the pill as soon as possible to quit smoking, to quit heavy drinking, ditch the foods containing poor ingredients and stop using body care products that are toxic. So this goes beyond you. This is about cleaning your internal environment, which will not only benefit your well-being, but also your unborn child and ultimately the futures of generations of your family. And think about it because if you become pregnant with a girl, the eggs that will be your grandchildren are forming inside of you, which is so beautiful and magnificent. So I'm going to talk about eight important things that you need to do for preconception planning. First and foremost, lower stress, both men and women. I recognize that this is significantly easier said than done. Um, however, it could possibly be the single most important thing you do. No joke. Whether it is stress about getting pregnant, work, or your life in general, elevated stress levels will work against your goal of pregnancy. Elevated stress levels affect fertility in two main ways. The first is that stress increases our adrenaline output. And high levels of adrenaline inhibits our ability to use progesterone, which is a which is vital for fertility, of course. And the second um, way is that long-term chronic stress increases cortisol levels. Research has shown that the elevated levels of cortisol inhibits the body's main sex hormones, gonadotropin-releasing hormone, and this hormone is vital for healthy ovulation and sperm count. So I cannot emphasize enough, guys. This is why it's number one. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, I don't want you to have to stress about lowering your stress, right? But I think what I always come back to with my clients is that that is the root cause. You don't need to chase the root cause anymore. That is the root cause of everything in some capacity, right? But I guess I'm mainly just talking about emotional stress here, physical stress here. Um, 
and I'll get to like chemical and electromagnetic stress later on and blood sugar stress. But as far as emotional and physical stress go, like, are you working out like crazy? Um, is your partner overdoing it? Are they nourished? Are they leading a lifestyle that is metabolically supportive? Um, do you have a lot on your plate? Do you keep piling more and more on your plate? What are your patterns? Like there's, there's so much that goes into it. And this is why I like to work one-on-one with women in in this fashion, because I think I can go deeper with them and really help guide them towards a path that is metabolically supportive for them and their lifestyles. I'm not going to fix anything for them. They're doing all the work, but I'm at least making them aware of where in their life we could make some adjustments some tweaks. And I'm even thinking of starting to work with couples because as long as everyone is on board, I think if someone is really serious about trying to conceive or maybe has struggled in the past of trying to conceive, I think having both mom and dad on board and in the same call and everything and just talking about stress um, and talking about food and all the things um, is so important and critical. So moving on to number two, let's talk about nutrients. I think it's important to get some lab work done. Now, I don't think labs have to be in everyone's journey, but I think if you're trying to conceive, it could be wise to do that. This is why I include um, the three labs in my private practice with each of my VIP clients. Um, we include a Dutch test, with, which is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones, a hair tissue mineral analysis test. This is going to tell us a bit more about what's going on on a cellular level. Um, for example, your thyroid might look okay on blood work, um, but we're looking at what's going on underneath the hood. Um, and that is usually, it's usually something's up with a thyroid and each one of my clients that I've, I've seen. And now I think what a lot of women are missing is like, Oh, my, my thyroid's fine and everything looks good. Um, or no, I'm sorry. That's not what they're saying. <laughs> they're saying that their thyroid is not good. Some women even conceive when they have PCOS. Just because you can conceive doesn't mean that pregnancy or postpartum or even baby would, um, I don't want to say like not healthy, but there could be some complications. And in order to mitigate these things from happening, this is why preconception health is so important. I'm not saying that you have to be in optimal health all around. I don't even think I know anyone that is in optimal health, especially these days. Um, we are being bombarded by so many things left and right, but I think we can get to a place where the body feels safe to have a baby, not just safe enough, but safe, like foundational safe. Um, so that baby is healthy, pregnancy goes well, and postpartum goes well too, because we have to make sure that not only baby's healthy, but you're healthy after giving birth as well. So um, yes, hair tissue mineral analysis, Dutch test, and full Monty iron panel would be my top three recommendations. If you're on the road to trying to conceive in the near future, um, looking at hormones, looking at what's going on on the cellular level, looking at your iron overload, because remember, we also imprint our baby with our current thyroid status, um, hormone status, and even iron status. So we just, we got to make sure that things are as close to balance as possible um, before even conceiving from my own personal perspective. 
Um, number three would be to optimize digestion. And we do that by removing gut irritating foods. So what do I mean by that? Everyone like always asks me like, what do you mean by gut irritating foods? How do I know what's irritating my gut? So if you have a symptom that's digestively related after consuming XYZ food, then more than likely it's gut irritating. And I usually consider that to be a boatload of nuts and seeds, cruciferous vegetables, um, lots and lots of grains, especially unsprouted grains. Um, gluten is a main offender. So those are kind of like the main foods that I avoid with my clients, at least for 30 days, just to make sure that we are removing as much stress as possible. And um, I would also consider legumes and soy to be in that category as well. But that doesn't mean that all of these foods have to be con- like removed forever. But there's one such as um, like vegetable oils, I would be mindful of my consumption. Like how often am I eating out? Because I definitely don't keep that stuff in my house. Stuff is like poison. But when I go out to eat, I just, I take a little vitamin E. I have my digestive bitters with me and I don't stress it. Sometimes I don't even like take those things because I'm just like, oops, forgot. And I don't stress it because I know that I'm taking care of my body at home and my body is a little bit, is, is, has built up resilience and, um, it can bounce right back after eating a meal out, which is totally fine. But you know, you might be actively experiencing a lot of symptoms now, just because I can tolerate those things, guys. Now there was a period in my life when I was not able to tolerate much. But I also will say I had a lot of nuts and seeds in my diet back then too. So it all depends. Don't take my personal experience and apply it to your life. Just, you know, try what works for you and leave what don't leave, leave what doesn't. But those are usually the foods that I tend to recommend avoiding at least for the first 30 days. And sometimes we do it for longer, just depending on like how my client responds to that. Um, there are some things like soy they don't want in their lives and nuts and seeds. They don't tend to miss those. Once they get some good quality dairy in there, we can consume grains, but we talk about sprouting them. Um, same thing with legumes. Um, but I find when we start implementing really gut nourishing foods, they tend to crave more of those. I'll share my personal experience. Like I used to crave dessert all of the time, probably because I was on a sugar detox for God knows how long. (laughs) I literally said in one of my Instagram stories, I'm addicted to sugar and I've been in denial about it. (laughs) I just, I wanted to cry like just out of like pure embarrassment and just it's it's so funny to think that I was like addicted to sugar but it was because I was avoiding the sugar you guys and I felt horrible after eating them also because they were packed with lots and lots of almond flour um but yeah now I just I don't even crave dessert all I want is like fruit for dessert and I never in a million years would have thought to say that but that is genuinely what my taste buds crave So find what works for you. I also recommend checking temperatures if you're trying to work, find what works for you. So that would mean taking your temperature beforehand and taking it afterwards and seeing if we see that temperature rise. Note that you can also start to see a a temperature dip, meaning that maybe that plate took stress off the body. So it could be like that for a little bit as you start implementing metabolic principles. And then you should start seeing that your temperatures are rising after a little while. Um, But 
everyone's different, but just keep that in mind. Um, also taking your pulse, seeing a, a pulse shift after eating food. You can also do this with your workouts to see if your workouts are working for you. Um, and these are things I all, I keep track with my clients, every appointment, just to make sure that we're seeing progress. Um, but I think most importantly, like your body is going to tell you what's going on. Like after you eat a certain food, did it like it? Did it hate it? Did it send you straight to the bathroom? What's going on? So just, uh, really understanding how to listen to your body and increasing that level of body awareness. All right, moving on to number four, ditching the toxins, my loves. So I want you to ditch any excess in your body that could be hindering your chances of conception and sustaining a healthy pregnancy. We are overwrought with an unprecedented toxic load. Um, the most effective ways for women to detox is through their placenta into their unborn children. This is why it's vitally important for you to do your detoxing before you get pregnant. Um, but detoxing doesn't always and doesn't only involve diet and lifestyle, but also cleaning up your environment to eliminate toxins. Um, now, just note, I hate the word detox, probably because it has such a negative connotation. I associate it with like cleanses and detox teas and parasite cleanses and all that stuff. Um, so this is not like a 21 day thing. This is like a, again, a lifestyle thing. Like I commit to making better choices when, or, or healthier choices when I'm going to pick up this concealer or this foundation in my life again. And I won't stress about it right now. I'll just finish out the bottle that I have right now and then make a healthier choice when it comes time to purchase something. Don't stress about what your, your current makeup routine is. Just let it go and say, Hey, I'll finish out this and make sure my money doesn't go to waste. And then just you know, get on with it when it's time to buy a new bottle. So here are some of the ways that you can begin to detox your life. Um, so first and foremost, looking at your plastic use, are you microwaving in plastic containers? Are you storing lots of food in them or Ziploc bags? I love stasher bags. I also love glass Tupperware. So I, that's an easy swap. You can find like a really nice bulk buy at Costco. Um, stasher bags are available pretty much everywhere now. I want to say like they're, they're pretty, pretty available They're Um, it's silicone. Um, and I just love storing stuff in there, but also glass is like my favorite. I also love whack jars. If you guys are familiar with those, they're airtight containers. Um, they have like little clips on them. I like storing stuff in the fridge or in the pantry. Um, but yeah, I, I usually love glass. Um, then we're looking at like everyday products. So we're looking at house, household cleaners. We're looking at beauty products. Like what are you putting on your skin? What are you putting on your hair? What are you putting on your body? Um, body wash, shampoos, conditioners. We're looking at menstrual products. Are you using organic tampons or pads or are you using a cup? Um, I recently just transitioned back to pads for anyone who cares. <laughs> I was using a cup, but then I just started like intuitively. I felt like my blood is not supposed to sit here for hours and hours on end. And then it started to also feel uncomfortable. So I've actually really cherished, um, the time that I've been on, I've been on, I've been using pads for the past two cycles and I really liked how I can just feel like my flow coming out and knowing that it's, it's strong and healthy. And I look down on my pad and I see 
a nice color. Like it's just, it's different. I feel like I can I connect to my period and my menstrual cycle a little bit more, which is also one of the first steps that we should take as women. Um, if one of our goals is to conceive in the near future. Um, but I think both men and women, mom and dad should look at to look to their, um, everyday products that they put on their body. Now I feel like women have a lot more to like do an audit of, because I think I can't remember the number, but we use a lot more products than men. Um, so we have like creams and oils and serums and face masks and this and that exfoliators and like shaving cream. Like there's just a lot. Um, so I suggest that you guys do your research. I also like recommending to my clients the think dirty app or ewg.org, um, backslash skin deep and do a search engine, um, or check their search engine for your products. So like just typing in your product, say it's a vino body lotion and looking at what it comes back as on the toxicity, toxicity scale. Is it rated at a 10? Is it at a one? Probably not. Um, and then it does a breakdown of the ingredients and like why it's not healthy. Um, which I think is so awesome. So just to kind of like educate yourself. And then they also have brand recommendations on there as well. But in the private Facebook community, I've also shared plenty of my favorite products that I use, um, as far as like beauty and household goes. So be sure to join the Facebook group if you aren't there already. Um, but yeah, the average woman uses 12 products with 168 chemical ingredients daily while men use six that contain about 85 ingredients. So altogether, 12.2 million adults are exposed to ingredients that are considered known carcinogens every single day because of their personal care products. And these chemicals disrupt our endocrine system and hormone imbalance. So it's a similar story for cleaning products. They are packed with a range of chemicals that disrupt hormones and can affect fertility. And one study found that chemicals detected in household dust from cleaning products, beauty care products, and household electronics are linked to reproductive and endocrine problems as well as cancer. But like I said, the good news is that you can take steps to clean up your beauty care and cleaning regimen. All right, next up, assess your diet and switch to, switch to organic. So we talked about food and easy to digest foods a little bit ago, but I think touching on this is really important as well. Um, diet plays a big role in preconception planning. We know that. Um, but it's not the only thing, but it's important. Um, it's important to eat a wide range of whole foods to provide you with the nutrients that you need, including folate, healthy fats, bioavailable animal protein, B vitamins, zinc, selenium, vitamin C, and vitamin D. Remember, these are not supplemented, but rather found in food. And if, if something I get like an Instagram comment sometimes is like, um, Oh, well, what if I don't like any of these foods? And I'm like, babe, do you want health or not? Like I get there are a lot of picky eaters out there, but you know, there are a lot of things that I didn't like either like oysters or liver, but I know that my health means way more to me than not enjoying a certain food. So my suggestion would be to just expand your horizons, keep trying with certain foods and don't give in to supplementation because seriously, like I've been there and done that. For example, I supplemented with vitamin D for a couple years and my vitamin A, my retinol is tanked because of that. We know how important vitamin A is for pregnancy and your thyroid health and all the things. So 
that would be my suggestion. Remember, it's a lifestyle change. If you really want it, you'll make it happen. Um, but also like be gentle with yourself. Don't super force yourself into things right away. Remember that it's a journey. You have time to ease into things. So just doesn't work one week, try again the next. Doesn't work that week, keep trying. Oh, maybe it's a little bit better. Okay, do a little bit more. Okay, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's it's also equally important to eliminate the foods that inhibit fertility, such as processed foods and preservatives that not only affect your fertility, but have a damaging effect on developing children. So you might find it helpful to track your eating for a week and then assess if you are getting everything you need. You, you need. So what diet or eating style is best for fertility? There are a range of dietary philosophies and their advocates who claim their eating style is best. In my perspective, a diet that focuses on whole foods, fruits, veggies, quality fats, and proteins, antioxidants, and unprocessed foods is crucial. And it may take some trial and error to figure out what is best for your body. However, don't feel married to one style of eating, but if your diet isn't getting you the results that you want, aka your pregnancy, I would encourage you to reevaluate, keep an open mind, and perhaps try something new. The pesticides and herbicides found in conventional produce are hormone disruptors, and they can negatively impact fertility. There's actually a body of research that shows that pesticide residues in produce are linked to decreased chance of pregnancy and can cause infertility. Those pesticides also have a huge impact on men. So consider the following studies. Um, there are high pesticide residues on fruits and vegetables linked to poor quality semen. Exposure to pesticides reduces sperm motility. Pesticides decrease sperm counts and alter male reproductive hormones. The lower the pesticide residues, the higher sperm counts and concentration. Organic food has also more antioxidants. Organic meat contains a better fatty acid composition than conventional and has a better impact on the environment. And if 100% organic isn't in your budget, you can prioritize using the Shopper's Guide by the Environmental Working Group. This guide includes the Dirty Dozen, the foods with the most pesticides, and the Clean 15, the foods with the least pesticides. I would recommend buying the Dirty Dozen organic as a priority. Um, I would recommend buying the Dirty Dozen organic as a priority first. Whoops, jumbled my words, but hopefully you guys got that. Um, all right, moving on to number seven, and then lastly, number eight. So um, move your body, seriously. Physical activity has a range of benefits. It can boost energy levels, help with weight loss, and improve hormone levels such as insulin and testosterone. Exercise is linked to improvements in your menstrual cycle and ovulation and can positively affect sperm quality. Explore different types of exercise you enjoy. I like yoga, Pilates, and forest bathing, walking nature, which has its own host of health benefits. And when it comes to fertility, vigorous or exer excessive exercise can be too much, impacting menstrual cycles leading to decreased fertility. Gentle in this situation is good. I also love, love, love strength training. This is going to help you have an easier pregnancy and postpartum recovery. Um, I would really look to my friend, Adina Rubin, for advice. She's um, on Instagram at, uh, at underscore Adina Rubin. Um, and she, I think she said in her last podcast episode last week that she was thinking about coming out with a postpartum recovery strength training program. But I know she offers strength training for happy hormones currently in group uh, in a group setting and just self-paced version as well. And I think strength training is also just like bomb and one of the best things that you can do. And I think it leads to more confidence as well. 
Um, all right. Number eight, lastly, transition off of medications um, if possible. There's no shame if you are on medication right now, but I do believe that we are in an over-medicated culture. Take a peek into your medicine cabinet and see what you can eliminate by addressing the root causes, aka stress and subcapacity, rather than using over-the-counter meds as a crutch. Many drugs can impact fetuses. Just As just one example, Tylenol used during pregnancy is linked to an increased risk in ADHD in babies. In the last three decades, medication use in the first trimester has increased by 60%. And the use of four or more medications has tripled. The tricky part of medications is pregnant in pregnancy is that most medications aren't tested on pregnant women for obvious ethical reasons. There is not a lot of information of the safety of more than 90% of the medications approved by the FDA between 1980 and 2000. There are many natural options for common pregnancy problems like constipation, heartburn, and nausea for when you get pregnant too. Of course, medications may not be able to be eliminated due to certain health circumstances, and it's important to weigh the risk, risks and benefits. And if you're going to transition off any medication, ensure you do it safely with your doctor's guidance, please. And I'm not telling you to get off of right now. Please look at your own case. None of this is medical advice. Men. All right. So getting to the men, just diving a little bit deeper on my post from yesterday. Um, I'm talking to you too. I want ladies who listen to this episode, turn the volume up and get your partner nearby and make sure he listens to this. I want to emphasize that all of the information I've included here about preconception planning applies to both men and women. All too often, it's considered the woman's responsibility to clean up her diet and lifestyle, and too often, women shoulder the blame and the guilt for infertility or miscarriages. Every single piece of advice in this post applies to men. Sperm quality has decreased by 1% per year from 1938 to 1990, and male infertility is on the rise to this decrease. Evidence indicates that a healthy lifestyle for men, especially a nutrient-rich diet, low in pesticides and low in alcohol, processed meats, and soy can improve semen quality and boost the chances of consumption. Also, lots of sunlight. So why does preconception planning matter, guys? Why the heck did I just tell you to do all the things that you maybe know how to do, but I just want to emphasize a little bit more? Pregnancy is the single wildest and most challenging physical feat most of us will go through in a lifetime. Prepare for it as you would for any other major physical feat. You don't just buy the fancy gear and head up Mount Everest. You plan, you prepare, and you train. Pregnancy and bringing a human into the world is the greatest physical feat a woman goes through. So plan, prepare, and train. This is your mountain. And this goes beyond pregnancy as well. Your first years with a little one will also challenge you in so many other ways when you are getting little sleep and suddenly have this whole other person to care for. If you don't go into pregnancy in your best health, you will undoubtedly start to experience serious health challenges on the other side when you have a family to care for. It is not a coincidence that the rates of autism, ADD, ADHD, childhood diabetes rates, cancer rates, and heart disease rates have only continued to steadily and rapidly increase without known cause. As well, depression, thyroid issues, autoimmune diseases, and adrenal fatigue in moms postpartum are not uncommon. We know the cause, but it's not just one thing. The cause is the cumulative effects of the world that we live in today. 
There are more toxins in our environment than ever before in the history of humankind. We have chemicals in our food, personal care products, tap water, furniture, and wall paint. We are exposed to high levels of radiation more than ever before, and we are under higher levels of ongoing stimulation than ever before. So what I've outlined here is intended to inspire and empower you, okay? There is stuff you can do now in your area, in certain areas of life where you can get started. So you can decide what your first steps will be in your path toward becoming parents and grow, growing your family. This entire process can be incredibly isolating and scary too, but you've got this. And in the event that you don't or are feeling lost, gather your tribe, seek out the personalized guidance of a natural health expert who specializes in fertility and pregnancy, join a community group on Facebook and open up to those in your circle, wrap yourself in support. You are not alone. Remember it takes a village to raise a baby. And sometimes it might take a small village to make the baby happen in the first place. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if it resonated with you, please feel free to give the functional fertility podcast a five-star review so that we can have a spectacular fertility specialist on the show. Thank you so much for your support until next time, guys. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the functional fertility podcast. If you want to stay connected, be sure to join the bite-sized weekly email list where each Monday I expand on social media topics to give you the exclusive tidbits of information you need to hear as it pertains to reproductive and metabolic health, fertility, preconception, and more. And if you're ready to dive deeper, be sure to check out my website, kiaramiewellness.com to discover different ways to work with me, such as one-on-one work and my online course, Period Restoration, where I teach you the ins and outs of your cycle and how to transform your fertility, whether or not you're trying to have a baby soon. If you feel this podcast episode resonated with you, please feel free to give it a five-star review and rating as it helps my podcast so much and it allows us to continue having wonderful guests on the show. Thanks guys. I'll see you in the next episode.